The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Let's open the phone lines and let's talk honestly and candidly today about the death of George Floyd and racial justice in America. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We're going to have one of those talks today. We're going to talk through some difficult issues. We're going to be candid and here are the ground rules. You get to speak freely. You get to speak openly. You get to speak honestly. If your comments are offensive to me or someone else, as long as you're not rude or nasty, I want you to be honest. You have the right to say something that I might find distasteful or offensive in terms of a position that I don't agree with. Again, We're not getting nasty with each other, no profanity, obviously, but you have my permission to be brutally honest, and someone else calls in, has the permission to be brutally honest with you. Fair enough? 866-348-7884. We have been waiting for the George Floyd trial to unfold further, the murder charges against Derek Chauvin, the former cop who was involved in the death of George Floyd, did he cause the death of George Floyd? Did he cause the death of George Floyd intentionally? Would George Floyd have died from other causes otherwise? Was this a blatant example of police brutality? Was this an example of racism? These are all the questions that are being discussed, that must be discussed as America is being torn up right now over these issues and cities are set on fire over these issues over these questions and then in the midst of all this horror of horrors dante wright 20 years old shot and killed the officer involved 20-year veteran has now resigned uh we'll we'll watch a clip of this Uh, she's saying it was an accident she's yelling taser taser and then shoots him and says oh blank i shot him The parents are saying, we don't believe it was an accident. Understandably, they're torn up over this. 20-year-old son, gone. Uh, Was this because of race? Was it just a tragic coincidence at the same time that this trial is going on just a few miles away? How do we sort these things out? What about the studies that indicate that there is not police brutality disproportionate towards blacks? What about many just shaking your heads as you hear that saying, I don't care what the stats say, I know my life experience. 866-34-TRUTH. As you have viewed the footage, if you've been following the trial, what's your take? Was Derek Chauvin intentionally trying to hurt George Floyd? Did he intend to kill him? Is an example of police brutality? Does it have anything to do with race? Can we know for sure? So let me talk to you totally candidly, as I do, and and we've had these discussions for years on the broadcast. In in fact, I know this will sound surprising to many, but uh, when we were just doing radio, even though my face was all over the place in terms of online or on TV shows or whatever, plenty of people only knew me by radio. And I would go into the city where we had a, a big radio station 
and do a rally or do a special meeting. And quite a few times, African-American listeners came up to me and said, Dr. Brown, we didn't know you were white. Now, what blessed me about that was that we had talked through issues like this, where my life experience and my upbringing would be very different from many black Americans. In other words, I've never been racially profiled in America. I didn't have, a, have to have a talk. Well, we had two daughters, but if we had two sons, I wouldn't have had to have the talk with them as they were becoming teenagers and as they were starting to drive about conduct and how they should respond to officers and potential dangers and things like that. Never had to have that talk. Haven't had to have that talk. Our, our kids haven't had to have that talk with their sons, so our grandsons. And, and yeah, obviously, you know, seek to be law-abiding and, and respectful authority and all that, but there was never a sense that there would be a special threat to them you know, maybe 18 years old, driving in a predominantly white community as white kids that they might get stopped or what are you doing here or how to respond to police or something like that. Or they may be just, you know, potential suspects. Well, we didn't have to have that talk. So I've not had the same experience that others have had. And one thing that's been really helpful to me over the years has been honest calls from callers who said, hey, let me tell you about how it is where I live. Let me tell you what my life experience has been. Hey, I was a professional athlete and I got stopped by police when I was in a predominantly white area just because it didn't look like I belonged. You know, I had an African-American caller say that or, you know, pastor, call it God-fearing pastor and saying, hey, I, I just want you to know my experience as an African-American. So I understand we could throw stats out and we could look at it through that angle. And then we could also look at life experience. The question is, is there intentional police brutality? Is there intentional police brutality towards minorities? Are certain people singled out? Uh, do we have a, a situation in our society where, because of fatherless homes and higher crime rates in certain African-American communities, that therefore there are more young African-American suspects and therefore more profiling going on? And then human beings being human beings, they don't always act rightly. I'm, I'm talking about police and things like that, and it leads to issues and abuses. Or is this just the latest social justice narrative? And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. On the one hand, I'm just talking personally, honestly, straight with you. And then we're going to take a lot of calls, 866-34-TRUTH. And I, I want to get your perspective as a white American, as a black American, Hispanic American, Asian American, whatever your particular perspective is, or as an officer of the law, policeman, policewoman, here's the tension that I feel personally. On the one hand, I'm sure that there are still issues in our society because we have not fully overcome the legacy of the past. You know, just for example, the amount of generations that white families have had to accumulate wealth, status, etc., is different than the amount of generations that black families have had to accumulate wealth, status. So if you look at net worth, do a little survey of that. Average net worth of white Americans versus black Americans, you'll see something very disparate. Now you might say, well, no, Asian Americans are high. And th well, Asian Americans didn't come in behind the eight ball in the same way. They didn't come in as slaves. They didn't have to face segregation. Yeah, I'm sure discrimination and different things like that, but there, it would be different. You cannot compare the two. So if, if you look at net worth, if, if you look at things like that, you see, okay, there are still inequities. I've read some major studies that indicate that for crimes that are equal with people with equal 
backgrounds in terms of criminal backgrounds, non-criminal backgrounds, that African-Americans get stiffer sentences than non-African-Americans. I've, I've seen some major studies that indicate that. Now, in my mind, this is not because of some intentional racism. In my mind, it's not because the BLM movement is correct and, and the social justice movement is correct. In other words, there are still inequities in our system that have to wor be worked out, and there's racism all over, meaning there's hatred based on race across the board around the world, and certainly we have it in America. But I don't see that as the dominant issue. So my tension is, on the one hand, I want to stand up for what's right. I want to expose what's wrong. I want to call for us to examine things deeply and look for justice and fairness and equity. On the one hand, on the other hand, I, I don't want to say, look how woke I am or as if I'm responding to BLM movement or anything like that. You follow? So the, these are the issues here. Uh, I want to be a, a God-honoring servant of the Lord, just like so many of you want to be. I want to pursue truth. I, I don't want to be moved by media reports on the left or on the right. Don't want to fall into stereotyping. Don't want to have presuppositions just based on my own upbringing and experience. That's why I've listened and interacted with friends from different backgrounds for many, many years, because all of us have limitations by our own experience. I mean, just whatever it is in culture, musical, foods, literature, a host of things, sports experiences. You know, you grow up doing certain things. You have certain backgrounds, certain perspective, and it means that it's limited. It doesn't mean that it's ungodly. It just means it's limited. Traveling outside the U.S. about 200 times. I've spent literally several years of my life outside of America in different countries, different cultures, that's been very helpful as well to help shape things. And then you get on your face before God with the Bible and say, God, I just want to pursue truth. I just want to pursue justice. I just want to see Jesus glorified. I want to do what's right for people. I don't want to be reacting to the left or to the right. So can we talk this through together? Can we talk this through honestly and candidly? That's the goal. Let's look at the tragic footage, the death of Dante Wright. So he gets pulled over for an expired tag, expired license plate. As he's being pulled over, the officer notices that he has air fresheners hanging from his rear view mirror, which is illegal in Minnesota because it's thought that it can obstruct the view of the driver. When they run his tag and find out who's, who's involved, then they see that he has an outstanding warrant. At that point, he's on the phone with his mom. His mom says, take the air fresheners down and, and, you know, and is telling him don't run. For whatever reason, he tries to get back in his car. That's when the officer, the woman involved, yells, taser, taser. She's going to tase him and instead shoots him. Now, you wonder after 20 years, she's training a rookie, I understand as, as well, how you don't know the difference between a gun and a taser. Could it be that things are so intense? Could it be that, that everything is so inflamed at that moment and, and with everything going on in the city that she's not thinking clearly? You understand why the parents are skeptical, but I'm skeptical to think that she would just intentionally shoot someone in cold blood. So we will just listen for a moment to this tragic footage here. He was trying to get back in his car. 
Right. So she's yelling, taser, taser. She's going to tase him. You know, why he's trying to get back in the car, that's obviously terribly unfortunate. And then, oh, blank, I shot him. He drives off and then crashes and then is found dead. On the other hand, on the other hand, terrible loss. And of all times and places with so much pain and so much division and tension already to happen at this time in Minnesota. But there are other times where cops are just shot in cold blood by a driver. And they've got that in their minds. How do we sort this out? How do we get beyond the emotion and tension of the moment and talk this through with fairness before God? 866-34-TRUTH. Your calls when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. There's, there's an article I want to look at in a little while. Uh, it's, it's on the Red State website. Red State is very, very conservative, strongly conservative, a lot of uh, good critique of the radical left, and... Um, it's an article, Why is Our Knee-Jerk Reaction to Blame Black Men with Guns by Joe Cunningham? And it's, it's written, again, conservative website, conservative blogger or author, and yet questioning how the right often uh, reacts like you just have to follow this bad black man with a gun. You've you got to fault the guy to try to justify what happened. I found that interesting to find that perspective on a conservative website also I don't know if you've heard this, but sports journalist Jason Whitlock has been blocked out of Twitter. Why? Because he criticized BLM founder Patrice, uh, Patrice Cullors buying a $1.4 million home in a like 88% white area in California was like 1.8% black. That's it. Jason Whitlock himself black, criticizing her spending and what she's doing and going against BLM values He's been blocked out of Twitter for that. Okay, one more thing, then we go to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH. To put this in perspective, in terms of why police can be so edgy and, and why they can react the way they do, just give another side of it. Uh, I'm going to narrate as this is going on, but let's, let's play this clip. This is in New Mexico, and there's a... Uh, okay, uh... It's a, it's a horrific thing to watch here. Police officer uh, stopping, a, uh, stopping a, a guy's pickup truck, goes around to the front of it. Uh, this guy's not going to walk out of the truck. He's, he's got a, was it, whatever rifle he's got by his side. You can't see it. And as soon as he gets by the cop, he shoots him in cold blood, comes around, shoots him some more times, and he drives off. So, so this is what a policeman's thinking. This could be the last moment of my life right now. I might never see my wife and kids again. I may get shot because, I, okay, I stopped this guy for this, but we're looking for this guy, and next thing, you're dead. So these are all split-second judgments that are being made. These are all questions that have to be asked. And with Derek Chauvin, whether his kneeling on George Floyd's neck killed him, 
whether it contributed to his death, and even if both of those were true, was it because of racism or just police brutality? Those are all questions to be asked. And either way, a tragic loss of life and one of the most horrific videos that, that someone could watch. So let, let's discuss these things together. I want to get your perspective. I did a poll on Twitter just asking for perspectives on racial profiling, saying if you're a person of color, if you're white, just, just weigh in. And I hate, to, I hate to divide things like that, but I'm trying to get perspective based on our own life experience. All right, so we'll, we'll start in Chicago with Anil. Welcome to The Line of Fire. Thanks for calling, sir. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, as uh, dark-skinned, dark-brown as any black American. I just wanted to tell you, uh, you know, it is not a police profiling incident, but uh, something that would lay light into it. Like, um, you know, some years ago, several years ago, we attended the Vineyard Church in Kansas, and, uh, you know, uh, once a month they used to go, the pastors and few people would... <clears throat> Volunteers would make dinner, um, breakfast for, um, you know, a homeless shelter run by a white woman, uh, Monique. And, uh, you know, every month they would make, you know, hash browns, uh, biscuits and gravy and uh, whatever. And anyway, so um, I was also serving along with them. And then uh, I went to the client's place, you know, where they call them clients. And then um, I went back to the kitchen. Then I heard someone behind me saying, sir, you can't go there, you can't go back there. And then it was uh, the lady, uh, you know, coming to um, you know, stop me. And uh, the people said, no, no, he's part of us. You know, and, uh, you know, I, and then she was very embarrassed and apologizing a lot. You know, of course, you know, she thought I'm black and I'm, uh, you know, I'm a colored person would be homeless. You know, so uh, that is, I feel that is why the racial profiling takes place. But the most important thing what I want to tell you is, what is tragic is the president, the community leaders, the governors, the actors, actresses, celebrities, they should be telling the black youth, you know, when you are stopped by police, do not get out of the, do not, um, you know, resist, do not run away, show your hands, you know, behave properly. Because it's not like, because what is happening is there, there's so much outrage and each person taking advantage of things that um, the young kids, the young teenagers are getting into hysteria and they are running away and getting shot. You know, and in fact, like I work, I'm a software engineer at a major investment bank and, uh, you know, a managing director posted over there about how outraged he was that he was stopped by a black police officer and he was, the, he was driving an expensive car and the police officer was rude to him thinking he was a drug dealer and all that. But instead of that, uh, they should be saying, let's tell our people, our young kids, our teenagers to be calm and not get off the handle. Then the yeah. last thing I want to just say is, uh, really, really quickly, is we immigrants do not have a right to be uh, protesting against racism because we've all come from backgrounds where we are very racist. You know, in Korea, Koreans are extremely racist people, and now they're agitating against all this. And, you know, every my wife grew up in West Africa and was born and raised in Nigeria, Sierra Leone. She says the racism over there against inferior races or against foreigners yeah. is terrible. Yeah. And, and you know, just, just to jump in, sir, I've often heard from folks who've lived in different parts of the world the identical statements. You know, folks have called in and said that, that racism in America now is much less than racism in most of the rest of the world. And much of the rest of the world, you don't have as much immigration, so you just have your society and your skin color and your ethnicity, so someone else doesn't fit. They can, they can really be outcast. 
Um, I, I, I imagine, sir, thank you for the call, that there, there's some folks saying, hey, we have to talk with our kids. And, and, and here, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let me just make sure I get the, the name right here. Uh, okay. It was U- U.S. Army Second Lieutenant Karen Nazario. Uh, this is back in September, but now the officer involved has been fired. Uh, here it is. He's, he's African-American, Army Lieutenant. He, he's, he's in his car. He's got his hands on the steering wheel. He gets pepper sprayed. He, get, he gets terribly mistreated. It's like, well, what else, what else are you going to do? Or, you know, one of, one of the, the high-profile killings, because everything was recorded on body cam, um, was, was a gentleman, you know, in his vehicle. And he's telling him, I have a gun. I'm re- he's trying to say, okay, I'm, I'm reaching to get these. And he gets shot and killed. So, I mean, again, the officer thinks he's going to pull the gun on me. But you look at it and think, how, how can you justify it? So here's, here's the deal. Some of you say, oh, you're pulling the race card. No, I'm trying to say as, as the, the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, we got to talk. We got to share perspective. We, we, we've got to help understand one another. And if part of the body's hurting, let's find out why. Let's find out why. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. Margaret, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey. Uh, I'm so glad you're having this call today. Um, I'm a, uh, an abuse survivor, and I would challenge everybody to pull up the pictures of Derek Chauvin and look at his eyes when he is uh, with his knee pressed into George Floyd, because you can see in there in that if you're an abuse survivor that. After all he had been through with his wife leaving him and the divorce problems and everything, he felt like he was finally in charge. He was finally in charge of something, and there was nothing going to stop him from being in charge. And um, that was uh, he was uh, abusing George, and I don't think it would have mattered who was underneath his, his knee. He, it was a control issue that he wanted to, to be in control because maybe in no other area of his life he was. And, so, um, so let, let me let me ask this, and, and and I'm sorry to hear of your own story again, traumas that I can't relate to or understand. But as a police officer, if someone is resisting arrest, aren't you supposed to exercise control? In other words, isn't that your job then, as an officer, to to be in control? Not that long. Everything that's been on the radio and the TV uh, on the media lately has said that he had his knee down on George Floyd's neck even after he died. Right. Mm-hmm. Even after he died. You know, right. He was laying there on the ground, had his, it was handcuffed. There's no way he could have got away. And him and his buddies jump on George Floyd when he's dead. I mean, I can see it. I can see it so plain mm-hmm. in Chauvin's eyes that it was a matter of I am finally in control and nobody's going to take this control from me. So to you, in your, from your experience looking at this, and again, God is the ultimate judge, and then there'll be a jury decision here. This was not a race issue. This was a control issue. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Hey, uh, Margaret, I, I appreciate you, you weighing in. 866-34-TRUTH. And, and again, friends, we are not, the goal of this is, is not to be the judge and jury of Derek Chauvin or anyone else. The goal is to talk honestly and to ask what your own experience is. 
can there be a fair trial with things as they are in America today? Can there be a righteous outcome? And, and those who are protesting, those who are rioting, are they just being used by the radical left for further destructive and divisive causes? Or is this just the pain of, of the black community in America erupting once again? Honest questions to address. And look, most, most broadcasts you get on, they're going to have a, a hard take on the left or a hard take on the right. I'm doing my best to sort things through with you before God. Phone lines are open. You get to weigh in. 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We are having an honest conversation today about the death of George Floyd, the trial of former officer Derek Chauvin, the question of racial justice, racial equality in America, 866-348-7884. With the death of Trayvon Martin at the hands of George Zimmerman years back, we did a lot of shows. We talked about a lot of issues. I listened very carefully to as many callers as I could and had interaction with friends from different backgrounds. And then the death of my namesake, uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson. And in that case, with the myth of hands up, don't shoot. But why did that trigger such emotion? Why did, wh- why did it strike a chord across America? We talked those issues through. And, and I tried to simplify things by saying this, in terms of blind spots, because we all have blind spots, would you agree? We all have blind spots. I'm going to the phones momentarily, 866-34-TRUTH. It was my perception after listening, watching, observing, praying, thinking, reading, digesting information, that white Americans often do not see racism when it is there. And black Americans often see racism when it isn't there. In, in other words, because white Americans have not suffered the same thing black Americans have historically, white Americans have not been subject to segregation, were not part of suffering the horrors of slavery, that there can be racism and white Americans just don't see it. It's a blind spot. They're not aware of it. They're not aware of the mistreatment or the injustice. It's there, but they don't see it. Then, then on the other hand, black Americans, because of the history, because of the mistreatment, because of the inequality, may feel that something is racist and it's not there. And so that's, that's why we have to step back and try to analyze. For example, the, the tragic death of George Floyd, we all agree it's tragic and the video is, is heartrending to, to watch. And so was it because of drugs in his system? You know, as the prosecution would argue, and, and say that would be the toxicology report? Was it simply because of the, the police brutality, as the video would seem to indicate? And then even if it was police brutality, was it based on racism? Those are all separate questions. But as America's being torn apart right now, we, the body, we, we have to be able to talk to each other and talk through these things and say, hey, here's where you're missing it. Here's where I don't see, where I think you're, you're not seeing it. And then you have the radical BLM movement 
So Black Lives Matter, of course, amen, absolutely, yes, a thousand times over. But the radical BLM movement, what that tries to stir up, and so you've got all these things to process through together. We need to step back, take a deep breath, listen to one another, learn from one another. Uh, Let's go to Lacey in Simpsonville, South Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, um, I just wanted to bring up a point that I heard and, and kind of call out a point that I've been hearing from a lot of conservatives media outlets recently about the new um, case with the female police officers shooting the 20-year-old. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of, like, conservative news sources saying that the reason why the officer um, made the mistake was because it was, like, an affirmative action hire 20 years ago and that she shouldn't have been hired in the first place. And that's the reason why she made the mistake. And I just think that's an extremely like toxic idea, and I don't use the word sexist lightly, but it's a very sexist yeah, idea. I'm, that I'm with you. Pass I, off. I, I'm with you. I don't use it lightly either, but that's that's the word that hits me. Gosh! So for yeah. twenty, see, for twenty years, she somehow slipped by for twenty years, yeah. being an inefficient woman, and all the other inefficient yeah, and- women in the police force that they all just happen to get by somehow, but then this lady just slipped up. To show, oh gosh, why do people need to do yeah. that? Come up with with ideas like that. Yeah, and instead, and instead of like acknowledging that, like we should probably be training police officers better, or you know, extending training to you know more than what it is, they're just blaming like a factor that is in this one case, and they're basically, you know, simplifying it and doing exactly what the left. BLM does like all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? That's that's why we're having this conversation and doing our best not to to be that and do that. Yikes! I had not even heard that one, but thank thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it, Lacey. All right, thank you. <laughs> all right, yeah. I yeah. Gosh, what? Why must we come up with these narratives? Why? Again, it's I'm not a trained officer, right? I have never held a taser in my hand. You think, you know, if you're day in, day out, you, you know exactly where things are in your, your belt and where you're grabbing and what you're grabbing, what you're holding, right? If you're saying taser, taser, when someone that's handled these, tell me the difference between shooting a taser and shooting a gun. Do you know that what's in your hand? Everything seems to be a tragic mistake. The idea that she would just shoot him in cold blood, that to me is, is hard to believe. And there was no threat to her life. There's no threat from what we can see. He's just trying to stop him from, from driving off. And why he wanted to try and drive off, another tragic mistake in the midst of all this. But to blame it on her being a woman is hard because of affirmative action. No. She's on the force for 20 years. 866-34-TRUTH. Oh, let's go to Deborah in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for having me. And I also really appreciate your program. I try to listen to it regularly. Thank you. Um, I haven't been raised um, in the South. I grew up in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, I've seen racism at its worst. And what I'm seeing now is really a slap in the face of those who have actually lived through a real country of racism. Mm. The African-American community, black community, however term, whatever term they, we want to be called by today, um, is constantly being agitated with propaganda about racism, black crow, um, social justice. And it doesn't take 
anything big at all for us to just lose it when something happens, like with some of the issues that we mentioned, George Floyd and this young man now. But the problem is that as African Americans, we're really not taking responsibility for our own culture or community. And it really is a moral issue. And so until, until we go back to the basics, which is a trust in God, because he's the one that brought us through those real times. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not dismissing anyone's loss of a loved one through an officer's um, misconduct. Mm-hmm. But those times when, when we had no officers that would come to our rescue, there was one that did come to our rescue. That was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've forgotten him. And so now I just believe with all my heart a lot of the things that are happening in the black community, because if you look at us, you know, the, the moral fiber is just no longer there. You cannot just walk away from God and expect everything to continue to go well. Mm. well Deborah, I, I, I appreciate you calling, and may all of us uh, turn to God. Whatever our background, America in so many ways in general has turned away from God, and we are in such a mess. But Deborah, thank you for sharing your perspective and, and for being a regular listener. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to David in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yeah, Deborah had a lot of sense, Dr. Brown. Uh, Romans 13 is written to those who believe, but it applies to all of us. Uh, I'm 67, and my father was part of the greatest generation. And when he raised me, he taught me, boy, you don't play with the police because they can kill you. And I think about uh, Romans 13 where it says they do not bear the sword in vain. Uh, Growing up, and I'm I'm a pastor most of my life in in the black community. I'm a white man. And a lot of the stuff that came out of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah Wright's church that Obama was tied to, all that race and hatred of America and just all, all the anti-Semitism and baloney, a lot of that is being preached in a lot of the black churches today. And uh, these children, uh, this just, this, and you know, it says the law is for the lawbreaker in 1 Timothy 1, nine. Uh, it's not for the righteous man. And uh, I, I tried to ignore my father growing up a couple of times by not listening to that about the police officer. And I got my due uh, dessert. I got... They, they took care of me, and I wound up in jail, and I found out, well, Daddy, you was right, but he, he was a God-fearing man. Uh, he didn't always do right, but he understood that principle that that authority is of God, and and um, in all of this trying to figure this out, we cannot compromise uh, our stand on the Word of God that though they, they, they don't bear the sword in vain, and they are uh, they're working for the Lord. So that, that was my comment. Got it. Hey, David, I, I appreciate the call very much. Thank you for weighing in. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Brian in Davidson, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, hi, hi. Um, Dr. Brown, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, sir. All right. I've called a couple of times, and um, and like I've said before, um, Black Lives Matter like you said, 100%. There are a lot of things in Black Lives Matter that I don't agree with personally. You know, in the in the movement, 
let me say. I don't want to say the movement. I say the group because I kind of want to separate the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a honestly, my 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 original comment has has just switched a little bit. But what I originally wanted to speak on was how I when I look at like a lot of the insight of the not even just Black Lives Matter, but like the January sixth um, riot. Yeah. It was January 6th, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of Antifa that gets into this stuff. Even with the Black Lives Matter, they they have that type of rile up in them. But I want to I wanna retract a little bit, if you don't mind, Dr. Brown. And yeah, I'll, we just I'll, got a minute, so, so just go for it. Yeah, just okay. go for it. Yeah. All right. But I just want to speak to the last to the last two callers, not, not anything against them. I don't know them. I pray for them. I love them in the, in the body of Christ. But there's a slippery slope with what they were talking about when it comes to the black community, because I'm African-American. And when you say the African-Americans don't have the the um, love of God in them anymore, and you just put the blanket statement out there, that's a slippery slope where we're getting we're recycling some of the same things that racist people outside of the body of Christ can fuel to get to that same narrative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, in in point of fact, and I'm just jumping in because of time, generally speaking, the African-American community is more religious than the white American community, generally speaking. What our sister was talking about was something she grew up with and a fear of God that was in the home that isn't there, and she feels that's the biggest issue. Speak as an insider. But yes, to make the general stereotypes can be dangerous on every side. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, sir, for calling in. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. As I'm sitting here listening and praying, Lord, what, what can I say? What can I add? How can I help? Two, two simple statements come to mind, which I want to share very quickly and then go back to your calls. First, don't stereotype. Don't stereotype. Jews are the, blacks are this, whites are the, Americans are this. Don't stereotype. Second point, treat every situation fairly. Step back in the fear of God, put presuppositions away, And say, Father, if I was to be entrusted with making judgment here as your ambassador, I'm going to have to give account to you. Can I do it in a fair-minded, impartial way? Don't stereotype. That's the first thing. Second, treat every case fairly. I ask this question on Twitter. Whether you feel this is justified or not, you personally believe that blacks are racially profiled by the police more than whites. Just to get perspective. And I said there are two sets of answers, one for a person of color, uh, POC, and one for whites. So of those respondents, about 25% people of color, 75% white. So among people of color, it was uh, like three to, three to two saying, yes, they believe there's racial profiling. Among those who are white, uh, it's, it's a little higher than three to two saying that they believe blacks are racially profiled more. So just interesting, the, the overall feeling, consensus, was, was fairly close. 
Okay, uh, let's go back to the phones, and we start with Gina in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. I would just like to thank you for, you know, the godly work you're doing. You have one of the most godly perspectives that I've heard, you know, coming from a religious leader. So I really do appreciate that. And we could use more people like you. Oh, thank you. That means um, a lot. Thank you. Good. As far as, like, you know, this, you know, shooting of Mr. Wright and everything, I think that he was wrong. Um, and that, you know, like a lot of, um, unfortunately, young black men are wrong when they don't surrender and obey to the police. I think a lot of what we're seeing in modern days is a respect problem. And yes, black Americans, we do have a storied history with the police, um, and it is not a good one. But, you know, we would see a lot less death if, you know, black leaders put more emphasis on respect of police mm-hmm. than fear of the police. Mm. And, you know, and the more the media feeds us this narrative of predator versus prey or victimization, the more we give into it and the more our children who, you know, by and large, a lot of them are not properly churched. You know, a lot of them are not brought up in fear of God, you know, even though we are more typically more, you know, church than white people. You know, there are right, large right. there's a large segment of us that, you know, are fatherless and are unchurched and it shows in the ills in our culture. So yeah, it's and on the flip side, you know, like you said, I believe that, you know, white evangelicals especially would do well to, you know, take every you know, not to stereotype. Yeah. And to see what we're talking about when we say that there is injustice. Gina, listen, I, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the kind words, and I appreciate the call. I, friends, I hope you're listening to these callers. I hope you are. And Brian, glad you, you got to add on your comment. Just spotted that on Facebook, uh, just because we had a break coming up. wanted to get to other calls, but thanks for posting more. Gina, thanks for your kind words, and thanks for, for weighing in. Again, the purpose of the show is to hear from each of you and to learn from each other to be sharpened by one another, to be challenged by one another. I don't have a point to prove. I don't have a point to prove. When I do, you know it. When I got a point to make, you know it. I'm here to listen, and I'm here to interact, and when I feel I have something constructive to say, I'm saying it. All right, let's go over to Atlanta, Georgia. Baptiste, thank you for calling the line of fire. Yeah, hello, Dr. Brown. I actually wanted to... I actually wanted to speak on this issue really fast. So I do apologize. I have, I have some men showing up to fix my fix our age back, but it'll just be a brief moment. Go ahead. So I, want, I wanted to weigh in and say that one of the things that I've noticed in our time is that... Hey, tell you what, stay, stay, right, stay right there. Stay right there. Let me get to another caller, and I'll come back to you once you've sorted things out. All right? Uh, let's go to Max in Stokesdale, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Great show. Appreciate you providing this forum. Uh, sure thing. Off and on, about an 18-year career in law enforcement, uh, the letter of the law is death. We know this. We know that we're a fallen race, and we all live east of Eden, and I applaud you and your callers for pointing out 
basically when you paint with a broad brush, you get a lot on the windows. Mm. And we're doing that as a people. I, I did not wake up every morning trying to go get even with someone. Quite frankly, I was on assignment when I kissed my babies goodbye and I went into places that I was the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not know this, and your listeners may not know this, but it is illegal for most policemen to discuss certain things uh, with the media. So that when I was uh, when I was uh, carrying a badge and a weapon, I was told by my own administrators, I had policemen knocking on my door telling me I needed to shut up. Mm-hmm. These people cannot protect themselves against the onslaught. It's a tsunami of rhetoric that just washes over law enforcement, which is only going to make two things happen. The good ones will quit and the bad ones will become more careful. And the good ones who do stay in it will be even more victimized than I was. Yes, I know many bad law enforcement officers in my time. I've also known many people in the churches, many people in pharmacies and law enforcement uh, hierarchies of the court. I've known people who have made some big, sadistic, intentional sins mm-hmm. and crimes. It's not just the police that are going bad. They're just the target of the day. Right. So, so you would feel then that the bad apples get everyone demonized and the others can't speak for themselves. Again, friends, don't stereotype. Don't stereotype police. Don't stereotype an ethnicity. Look at each case fairly, and then when you have cumulative evidence, make a righteous judgment. Jesus said in John seven twenty four, don't judge based on outward appearance, but make righteous judgments. Hey, Max, thanks for calling in. Thanks for your years of service. Uh, we go back to Atlanta. But, oh, we lost our brother there. Okay, sorry. We tried. Uh, let's go to Siobhan in Seattle, Washington. What are your thoughts? Hi, Dr. Brown. I just wanted to say thank you for creating this space um, to be able to talk about this and more, you know, and also to talk about God and to just encourage and uplift um, the body. Um, I did want to share with you my experience as an African American, um, and in, and particularly when I was in college. So I went to I started at UC Davis in 1999 um, or 1998 actually, and um, I remember one of my first encounters with a student that was not black was her telling me that the only reason why I was admitted to Davis was because of affirmative action, mm. which was not true because affirmative action had ended the year before I even started there. Um, the house that I lived in, it was called the African Diaspora House, and it was created and obtained because a mural that had depicted different people of color on it was defaced with the N-word on it. And so part of the demands that the students um, that were there during that time requested was a space for people of color, particularly African-Americans, to be able to come together um, and to just talk about, you know, issues like that, but then also to learn more about um, African and African-American history. Um, another experience that I didn't have, but my, one of my um, male friends had, was he was pulled over several times. Um, while he was in UC Davis, not because he was 
driving um, erratically or doing anything wrong, but because he was a black man with the BMW. So that's just some of my experience as, you know, as an African-American. Siobhan, do you you feel that now in 2021 things are different or not? I honestly don't know. I, I don't know that I've experienced I have I haven't personally experienced racism myself. Mm-hmm. I know of other people that have experienced racism, so I would say n- no. I don't think things are any different. So, um, so in your own experience, do you feel that you have as fair a shot as anyone else in your career or life? Or is there still something that you feel hangs over you? That's a great question. Um, well, I'm glad it's one that you have to think about as opposed to something that you think about constantly. That, that at least is positive. But, yeah. well, listen, we, we are literally out of time. But, but friends, uh, okay. here's, what, here's what we need to thank you for calling in. And, and again, we'll, we'll keep talking. I've been waiting with the, 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 the trial and the death of George Floyd to get a little further and, and to, to wait for things to unfold. Now there's just more going on. And, of, of course, it's, it's listen listen to each other that's the key thing find folks to interact with who are outside of your ethnicity skin color religious world social step whatever find others to interact with and talk honestly and say how can we as followers of jesus fix the deep pain and divide in our country whatever's behind them we're the ones to fix it god bless your friends Another program powered by the Truth Network.